I'm going to stand for this. In the midst of these uncertain times, and even traumatic times, it's important to keep calming, community, and connection at the core. Calming helps us to center. Community reminds us that we're not alone. Connection calls us to reach out for resources and help. So today's pre-planned, which we planned, Pastor Colleen planned this a long time ago, our pre-planned study and our sermon is timely. And I love it how God is always timely. Because there are moments when I thought, well, should I change the whole sermon? Should we, how could we address this? And I realized as I studied this word for us today that it is very appropriate, very timely. And our study will bring us back to resting in God as we come together and as we reach out for his help to walk with God through all the circumstances of life. So let's jump into our study this morning. I'll start off with a little confession. It's Lent. So when we're talking about sin and we're thinking about sin, I'm going to start off with a little connect, uh, uh, conviction. Uh, confession on my heart. I got two speeding tickets. Yes, from December 28th to January 9, our family came together to visit our youngest daughter and we trekked through the North Island of New Zealand. We rented an SUV and it took me a few days to get used to riding on the left side of the road and on the right side of the car. And it was easy for me to go under the speed limit in the early days as I was still trying to just figure everything out. Somewhere along the way, I apparently was driving 105 kilometers in a 100 kilometer speed limit zone, and then 56 kilometers in a 50 kilometer zone, according to the, I cannot lie, police camera. Just three weeks ago and two weeks ago, I received letters in the mail from the New Zealand police informing me of my sin. They kindly said I could pay the fine or have my citation turned over to the Ministry of Justice. My first reaction was, really? Five, six miles over and you ding me? Here in the U.S., many people say, I don't know where we get this, but hey, if you just stay under 10 miles over the limit, they won't stop you. I'm guessing there are some of you who would argue that because you have received a little piece of paper because of that. And as my mind was protesting this citation, I was reminded that a speed limit is indeed a speed limit. And I had disobeyed. Yes, I paid the fines, all $19 of it for each ticket. That wasn't too bad, huh? The big question, though, is why is it so hard to obey? What is it that makes us think it's okay to obey some commands and not others? We live in a world, in a nation, in a community full of rules and regulations, but our culture has trained us to believe we know better. Rules and regulations get in our way, making life harder and more expensive at times. So today we're going to continue our study, our journey through 1 Samuel. We're going to pull out some words on obedience and let God speak to us on why obedience really is a better way. Before we read those passages, though, some very quick context. The Israelites have their first king. 
they had pleaded with God to have a king. He let them have one, and his name is Saul. And in summary, he let it go to his head. Now the pressure is on to defeat the Philistines, and the Israelites are vastly outnumbered. And so that's where we're going to pick up in our scripture this morning. We're going to read two longer portions. I'm going to summarize a little bit of each of those portions, but let's pick it up with chapter 13, verses 7 to 15. And you can follow along on this, or you can follow along in your version of the Bible, or you can listen. Some Hebrews crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him with trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people began to slip away from Saul. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the offerings of well-being. And he offered the burnt offering. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to meet him and salute him. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul replied, well, when I saw that the people were slipping away from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines were mustering at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down upon me at Gilgal, and I have not entreated the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel left and went on his way from Gilgal. And then we move over to 1 Samuel 15. But a quick summary before we jump in at verse 13. The Lord says to Saul through Samuel, completely wipe out the Amalekites. Everybody and everything. Saul did about 80% of this, kept the king and kept all the animals and all the plunder. And the Lord says through Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king because he did not follow the commands. So let's pick it up at verse 13. Saul says, may you be blessed by the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then? Is the bleeding of sheep in my ear and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But from the spoil, 
The people took sheep and cattle and the best of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is no less a sin than divination, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being king. Now there is more to this chapter, but we're going to stop here. We have plenty to learn from those words alone. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us through these words today. These are convicting words. And these are words which will undoubtedly bring on confession in our own lives. So let us rest in you and know that you have grace for us and that you love us. And may we act upon what we hear and obey you even more. Amen. Now, if we were watching these words play out before us and it included only these chapters, it'd be depressing. We'd be saying, Saul, Saul, why are you doing that? Come on, man. Why are you doing that? Well, there are some big things for us. There's one big thing for this morning that I want us to know, and that is obedience is the best way. In this time, we're going to learn from Saul what not to do. We're going to feel the consequences of not obeying God's commands and what is best for us. And we're going to consider giving up disobedience for Lent and beyond, and adding a life of obedience. So let's look at these words. First, Saul's mistakes, what not to do. Number one, being a people pleaser. In verse seven, it says the people are afraid, and Saul sees that they're afraid. And of course, if we saw somebody who's afraid, we'd want to help. But Saul directly disobeys the commandment of the Lord given through Samuel. He's getting a lot of pressure from the people to make a deal with God so they know they'll be safe, but Saul was a people pleaser. An article in Psychology Today reminds us, as a people pleaser, our typical response to any perceived need or request is yes. Yes, I will do that. Yes, I'd be happy to join you and to help you and to take care of you. Yes, you're right. Much of the time, this strategy may work reasonably well. We should be yes people at times. You feel good about helping others, and for the most part, other people like you, and they see you as one of those nice, helpful, giving people, a real team player. But the long-term consequences of almost always being a people pleaser is that there's a lot of negative emotion lurking in the background. Because not only do we want to please people, but we feel excessive guilt and anxiety when we can't. We fear the disapproval of others. We avoid conflict like the plague. We don't want to make any trouble. And having someone angry at us is just downright terrifying. In short, your approach to relationships crosses a line from simply being kind and helpful to being crippled by the fears and interpersonal conflict. We take on responsibility for other people's feelings and reactions, trying desperately to keep everybody happy or at least appeased. 
So Saul had let unhealthy people pleasing overpower the importance of trusting God. The question for us today, for all of us, myself included, where are we letting our people pleasing get in the way of pleasing God? The second thing we want to learn, the second mistake that Saul made, is that he was being impatient with God's timing. He took things into his own hands. Verses 8 to 9 show us that impatience. Samuel had said he would be back in seven days, and Saul made the sacrifice at the beginning of the seventh day. All he needed to do was wait one more day. And he says even, I forced myself, meaning he did it reluctantly, but that's not an excuse. Even though Saul had heard the words of Samuel, he took his eyes off of being obedient and decided he knew what was best. This, my friends, is what we would call entitlement. Psychological entitlement refers to an inflated and pervasive sense of deservingness, self-importance, and exaggerated expectations to receive special goods and treatment without reciprocating. It's the idea that there may be proven standards or regulations already in place for something, but what I need is more important and I need it in my own time. So here are a few examples in case we need some more. We expect the same rules that apply to others shouldn't apply to us. We feel massively put upon when other people ask us for small favors, but expect that when we ask people for favors, it's no big effort. We expect other people to be more interested in us and what's on our agenda than we're interested in them and what's on their agenda. We see our own interests as more interesting than other people's and see our goals and dreams as more valid or important than other people's. We disregard rules that are intended for everyone's comfort. We inconvenience others without thinking. For example, we might cancel appointments or reservations repeatedly. We make plans with friends and then bail out on those plans without considering that our friends may have planned extensively for that. We cut in line. We think we deserve to get up closer. It's okay to upset and offend other people. We see people who like to keep the pieces weak. We cheat in environments that are based on reciprocity, where we might bring up complaints on the internet and we never answer or respond in a way that would be helpful but we're free to do our own thing. When working in groups, we think we should be the leader and get most of the credit. And wow, have we seen entitlement over this last week. In times of crisis, we buy more than our own fair share of things at the expense of others. Ouch. Saul knew he had the power, but forgot who he ultimately served. We serve a loving God who sent Jesus. Mark 10.45 tells us Jesus came to seek and serve those who were lost. And as followers of Jesus, we're not to live entitled lives thinking we know better than God. Mistake number three. Believing the myth that some obedience is better than none. In verse three, you see that God said to wipe out everything. Well, that's a whole other sermon and a long discussion. 
We serve an all or nothing God. As you travel through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God the Father and God through Jesus demanded nothing less than 100%. In Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus doesn't mess around in his words to say, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Human nature leads us to look for the best of something. When I was growing up back in those days, well, they're coming back now, those big black round circle things called albums, record albums. I'd always look for the greatest hits, man. I love the greatest hits. We want the best of things. And so it's easy for us to pick and choose the best of all that's good out there and go with it. And collecting all these best of pieces makes us feel better. In verses eight and nine, we see in, in chapter 15 that Saul spared the king and all the plunder. Saul chose to obey only the pieces that he thought were best. Here's the big question for us. Again, very convicting. In what ways are we choosing to obey God in pieces? Choosing only the things that fit into our lives and our schedule. In what ways are we living by the creed? Well, at least I'm obeying some. Look at me. Isn't that better than nothing? Well, as we know, there were consequences to this. And the next slide shows us uh, some of these consequences. The consequences for Saul were steep. First, he was rejected as king. He lost his credibility as a leader. There was a loss of trust in him as a model or a leader. His influence was negated, done. He was replaced. And in the same way, when we choose to not obey, we too will lose our credibility as a leader, as a witness, as a model. When we choose to not obey, our trust will be broken with others and our relationship with God. Next, we're going to look at some tools. That's the next slide, taking up obedience. One, we want to recognize who God is seeking. And you notice he said he's seeking one after God's own heart. And later on, we hear about David being a man after God's own heart. That's one tool that recognize who God is looking for. He's looking for us to be after his heart. And two, that we would be people who follow God. In verse 10 of chapter 15, you see that, that God says, I regret that I made Saul king for he had turned back from following me and had not carried out my commands. And then a third tool is to carry out his commands. And throughout all these verses, it talks about that. And then finally, to recognize that obedience is better than sacrifice. Friends, this is probably one of the most convicting verses in the Bible to me. That to obey is better than sacrifice. Let me read those words one more time for us. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is no less a sin than divination or witchcraft, 
and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Our God is saying, saying I'm sorry is not enough. Giving me a show about what you're doing or what you think you're doing is not enough. Show me in your heart that you've turned around, that you are obeying. That's called repentance. And obedience is how we follow Jesus. Obedience is the best way, and it is the hardest way. As we close this morning, let's ask the hard questions and learn from Saul's sin. Why is obeying so hard? Why do we obey some commands and not others? What of God's truth do we find it hardest to obey? Let me propose a few in closing to really get our minds stirred. Here are some truths I think that people often find hardest to obey. I know I do. To unconditionally love all of God's people. To have integrity in all situations. To be patient with God to work in God's timing. We're being stretched on this right now, aren't we? In these times, and we don't know how long this is going to go on. This is the time to obey God and to trust him and to connect with him. Because that's the next part that's hardest to do, to fully, 100% obey God. And finally, to obey God and not let culture be who we are obeying. Is there one you would add? Or one you find to be your biggest struggle? And in the middle of these uncertain and turbulent times, we have only one constant. Our trust in God, our peace in Christ, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. As we obey the commands of God, we do walk the better way. And we, church, can walk together. No matter how far out we are spread right now, we can walk together. Where's God speaking to you this morning? Let's take a deep breath and a moment of silence. And we're going to sing one more song. Then I'm going to give us some final words. Let's take a moment of silence.